Welcome to the Jesus Calling Podcast. Our guests today are author and speaker Lisa Turkhurst and prison ministry volunteer Dorothy Ruelas. Lisa Turkhurst is president of Proverbs 31 Ministries and the New York Times bestselling author of Uninvited, The Best Yes, Unglued, Made to Crave, and 16 other books. Lisa candidly shares her journey to realizing that she was good enough when she stopped letting her circumstances define her and began believing who God says she is. Hi, I'm Lisa Turkhurst, and I'm an author and speaker, um, president of Proverbs 31 Ministries. And what I'm really passionate about and what I love that I get to do is I love to teach the truth. And in teaching the truth, I help women know the truth so they can live the truth because I know in doing that, it will change everything. Originally, I'm from Florida, which is uh, kind of a funny fact about me because I've lived in North Carolina my whole adult life. I remember as a child, we would go to church every now and then. Um, my mom would take us. My dad, I think I have one or two memories of him ever going to church. But um, after they got a divorce, my mom announced that we would be adding a little more church going to our life's equation. And I think she was just desperate to help my sister and I deal with so much loss that we'd experienced. So I remember we grabbed the big family Bible uh, that no one ever read, but I think just maybe having it in our house made us feel better about ourselves. I don't know. And we headed off to this large white steepled building. And I liked the idea when we went to church those few times. I, I like the idea of having a set of rules to follow um, so that I could sort of know how to play this Christian game. And, um, and so I started viewing God kind of like a vending machine, like, okay, God, if I follow your rules and I give you what is required, then you are supposed to give me back a great life. And as long as I keep up with my end of the deal, God, you need to keep up with your end of the deal. So at that point in my life, I kind of became Lisa, the good girl and um, and tried to reinvent myself in that way. I'm not sure when the first moment was that I felt not good enough, but it was very early on. And uh, I remember thinking of my life as different circumstances that would happen to me. And so um, I had several very difficult circumstances in my childhood. When I was eight years old, a very close family friend um, started to sexually abuse me. And um, that was a very confusing time in my life because he basically said if I ever told anyone that he would harm my mom. And so I took all of that hurt and all of that pain and all of that shame from uh, the encounters with him, I just stuffed it down in my heart. And I started learning how to smile on the outside even when I was crying and screaming on the inside. Um, then when my dad left our family, um, I was about 11 when he walked out on my mom and my sister and me, I felt completely abandoned. They wound up divorcing and my mom was forced to work um, several jobs to make ends meet. And that 
really left me feeling not only abandoned, but really lost. And, and I remember again, for the sake of keeping some sort of peace in my family, I felt the need to encourage my mom who was heartbroken and, um, and help her with my younger sister. So I put a smile on my face on the outside and stuffed all the hard feelings down. And I think that followed me for a long time. I even had that kind of um, deal with God. It was like, okay, God, I'll just do all the right things externally. I'll put on a smile. I won't cuss. I'll be nice. I'll listen to good music and um, all, all of that exterior stuff, but never having that kind of relationship where I let God inside to those places in me that were so hurting, that were so desperate to be loved. Then uh, I went through the middle school years, which I don't know how your middle school years were, but uh, middle school was not the best time in the world for me. And that was a time of, of comparison of, uh, that was the first time I realized like some kids were in a popular group and some kids were deemed beautiful by their peers and some girls uh, were interesting um, to the boys, other girls were not. And so I remember taking the rejection of my father and the rejection of my peers and kind of adding those circumstances up and, um, and looking at myself in the mirror. And now when I was in middle school, I had really frizzy hair, I had buck teeth. And so I almost even sort of rejected myself because I didn't look like what other people were calling beautiful. And so when I added all those circumstances up, I determined that I wasn't good enough. I wasn't good enough to be uh, anything that, that I wanted to be. It led me to this place of, I don't think I'm ever gonna feel good enough when I'm comparing myself to other people. I have to answer the most fundamental question that there is. And that question is, who am I? Am I gonna define myself by my circumstances? Like I'm Lisa the loser with buck teeth and frizzy hair, like the kids in middle school said I was, or Lisa the unwanted child, like my dad said I was, or Lisa the one who uh, even pursuing excellence in academics uh, compared herself to people who were smarter than her and Lisa the one who never quite caught up. Is that how I'm gonna define myself? Is that how I'm gonna answer that question, who am I? Or am I gonna get a different answer to that question by the one who really created me and designed me for a purpose? Now, my mom <laughs> always was incredibly encouraging to me. Now, she didn't have the money nor the vision to help me with my frizzy hair and my buck teeth, although eventually I did get braces, but, um, but I just remember my mom was very encouraging and, and she would always say, Lisa, you can be anything that you wanna be when you grow up. I always dreamed of being a writer because I've been, I was always fascinated with um, writing little songs and poems when I was a little girl. Um, I even, for Christmas one year, made my mom a book of all my poems and my favorite part of giving her that gift was putting it together, but 
uh, then making her sit there while I read the entire book of poetry to her. So while other kids were doing sporting events and like cartwheels and gymnastics and all of this and saying, look, mom, look at me. I was standing in front of my mom reading what I'd written. So that should have been a pretty good clue that, um, that I had dreams to be a writer, but I didn't know you could actually grow up and make that your job. I went to college. I didn't really know that you could uh, do that as a job. So I pretty much decided to try all kinds of other creative pursuits. I majored in the equivalent of a marketing degree in college and uh, thought I would just work in the business world, but my creative side kept emerging as what I really wanted to do. When my sister died when I was in college, that sent me into a tailspin because I felt like I'd made a deal with God that if I followed the rules, then um, He would surely give me this wonderful life that I dreamed of. And when my sister got sick, the deal with God that I made is, okay, God, I'm gonna continue to follow the rules, but you need to save my sister. And when my sister passed away, that's when I shook my fist at God and said, I want nothing to do with you. You know, um, I think, honestly, we all hit a spot in our life where we have to make the decision. Are we gonna continue on in religious activities that fall apart when life falls apart? Or are we, get in it, are we going to enter into a real relationship with God where um, even when life falls apart, we don't have to because we have a truth that transcends all the circumstances of our life, a truth that will lift our head, fill our heart, and give us a, uh, a purpose for continuing on. So um, it wasn't until many years later that I learned how to have a more intimate relationship with God where, where the Lord could really reach in and help me um, with those parts of my heart that were messy and untidy and um, hurting so desperately. The thing that really brought me to my knees and finally forced me to, to really have a coming to Jesus moment in my life was in my early 20s. Um, I found out I was pregnant and I was alone uh, and I felt completely desperate. I was terrified. And so um, I didn't know what else to do. I went to an abortion clinic just asking for them to help me because they advertised they had counselors there. But in reality, what really happened is they gave me a pregnancy test and uh, the supposed counselor came back and said, your test is positive, but you really shouldn't consider yourself pregnant because it's just cells dividing and we can take care of this problem quick and easy and you'll never think about it again. And so I bought their lie and I had an abortion. And I can tell you, it was as if when they took my baby, they, they took part of my heart as well. And I just felt after that so dead inside. I had at that time in my life, this woman that I not so affectionately called my Bible friend. Honestly, she got on my nerves because she was always giving me Bible verses. She had no idea the turmoil that I was feeling inside because I always put on a happy face on the outside. But um, she was a woman who listened to God and she 
uh, kept giving me Bible verses. And uh, then one day she sent me a card. And the day I received her card in the mail was the around the time where I knew my baby would have been due. And she had on the very front of the card, Jeremiah 29, 11, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you, not to harm you, plans to give you a future and a hope. Now, I didn't understand the full context of that verse. I didn't even know where to find that verse in the Bible. But that verse stood in such stark contrast to what I believed about myself my whole life, that I was unwanted, unloved, um, and now uh, possibly even rejected by God because of making the decision to have the abortion. And yet that verse spoke that the Lord had plans for me, that he had a purpose for me, that that he loved me and he had he had plans not to harm me and reject me and abandon me but but he had plans with good in mind and uh so i remember that was a real crossroads moment for me was i gonna continue to struggle with all the events and circumstances um, in my life and let all of those things continue to harm me let my abuser continue to harm me in, in never being able to heal from that and the rejection of my father continued to harm me and never being able to heal from that and the abortion and all the other circumstances or could I take all of those circumstances and give them to God and finally open up that inside part of me that I never made vulnerable to anyone and just say, okay, God, if, if you have good in store for me, then um, I give you all the bad and I'm asking you to show me how to do this. And I just knelt down beside my couch and I just said, yes, Lord, yes. I give you all of this and I'm asking you just to help me help me find my way, help me find this good that is true in your promise here. And um, I've been saying yes to God ever since. I still don't understand why my sister uh, had to pass away. You know, why, why did God take her and not other people that I've seen get sick? You know, so those why questions are still very much there, but I had to make the decision to take those why questions and just place them in God's hand and say, God, I don't have to understand it. I don't have to like it. Um, but trying to resist it the rest of my life is just going to compound my heartbreak. So instead of that, I'm going to trust that you can bring good even from this. And um, I'll probably never know on this side of eternity all the good that God has brought. But I will say that I see fruit from even that devastating situation. And I can look back over my life and so many of the devastating situations, I do see how God a lot of times used those to bring eventual good or either that or he used those events to shape my character to help develop my character really to match my calling. It was stringing words together that could have a deep impact on other people. So I started reading a ton of books. I read fiction books and nonfiction books, trying to figure out how do you actually write 
a book. I went to conferences, I talked to other authors, and slowly, I, I didn't set out to write a book. That wasn't the first thing I wrote. Slowly what happened is um, I started writing articles for, uh, I think, very small little publications. And then eventually, as I honed the craft of writing, um, many years later, I decided that I wanted to try writing a book. So that became the right direction for me. And so many years later, in my early 20s, I finally found the answer to that question, who am I, in a way that gave me peace and helped me see, um, in his eyes, I'm more than good enough. Um, and that was finding my identity in Christ. You know, you are Lisa, the holy and dearly loved child of the Almighty God, who has an incredible purpose, who has a uh, plan for me. And then as I got into my 30s and 40s, um, I started really hitting my stride in ministry, and I started to see the fruition of believing my identity in Christ. I think where people sometimes get tripped up is when they discover their identity in Christ, their holy and dearly loved child of the Almighty God, they don't really see the fruition of the dreams that they have come to be until many years later. But you have to stand in that identity, otherwise you'll slip back into letting circumstances define you. Uh, so, and I, and I think even now I'm 48 years old and um, I think just now as I look at that question, am I good enough? I think now I've hit the place where I can now answer that question like, Whoever wanted to be just good enough? Like, I don't wanna be just good enough, you know? So that's really the wrong question. Who am I? I am Lisa, the holy and dearly loved child of the almighty God, who is more than enough. So I have this prayer that I wrote out many years ago in my journal, and I still pray it quite often. And the prayer is this, Lord, I wanna see you. Lord, I wanna hear you. Lord. I wanna know you so I can follow hard after you today. And before my feet even hit the floor, Lord, I say yes to you. I don't even know what I'm saying yes to today, but I say yes to you so that I can live in great expectation of experiencing you today. Matthew 5, 6 says, blessed are the pure in heart for they will see God. And I don't think that verse pure in heart means blessed is the perfect person for they'll be able to see God or experience God. I don't think it means blessed is that person who like never has a hormonal moment. Uh, blessed is the person who never ever yells at the people that they love or anything like that. I think it is blessed is that person whose heart is pure in seeking God. Uh, not perfect in their actions, but pure in their desire to want to experience God, and then they will. And uh, so when I position my heart expecting to experience God, to see God, hear God, know God, follow hard after Him, have an invitation from God, when I position my prayers in that way and I position my heart in that way, first thing, I do experience God because I'm expecting to. And I think that's a wonderful way to live. My personal devotions are really important because um, a lot of times when I'm reading the Bible to study it, to teach other people, I'm uh, not necessarily asking God 
to really pierce my heart on, uh, on, on what the lesson is, because usually I'm writing lessons that I've learned. But in my personal devotion time, it's often uh, my, my desire is, Lord, teach me not so that I can teach other people necessarily, but teach me because you see where my heart is going astray. You see where my decisions maybe are getting a little selfish. You see where I need to be righted back on, on the right path, like, like course corrected almost. And I love that you just asked me about my favorite passage in Jesus Calling because um, I marked it. Uh, I had been praying for something very, very specific that I needed to the, the Lord to speak to me on. I wanted to um, build a, a space where I could um, really use it to invite other people in and um, teach them truth. And I had a very specific word from the Lord for that year and it was beautiful. And so just really, really praying through that, Lord, am, am I supposed to create a beautiful space to use for, um, for you to, to invite others in and to draw their hearts closer to you? Am I supposed to do that? So on April 4th, this is a section of that day's entry. Stillness of soul is increasingly rare in this world addicted to noise and speed. I am pleased with your desire to create a quiet space where you and I can meet. Oh, I'm serious. Like I read it like 15 times. I'm taking screenshots of this and sending it to my friends. I'm just feeling so invigorated because the way that Jesus Calling is written, it's as if the scriptures are translated in a way that God himself is just speaking to you. And it was just such a beautiful thing that the passage that day um, ends with this. Don't be discouraged by the difficulty of achieving this goal. I monitor all your efforts and am blessed by each of your attempts to see my face. And then there were several scriptures listed at the bottom of that page. There was Zechariah 2.13, uh, 2 Chronicles 16.9, and Psalm 23.2-3. So what I loved about it is it was a way to ease me into those scriptures that I may not have found on my own. And the way it was written, it was so specific. It really was as if God was speaking straight to me. So I think it's a lovely thing. I think one of my favorite things about Jesus calling is um, it doesn't take people away from the scriptures. It's almost like a front door to get them into the scriptures. You know, I've really been challenged by what Amos 8 verses 11 through 13 say, and it says that the days are coming, declares the sovereign Lord, when I will send a famine through the land, not a famine of food or a thirst for water, but a famine of hearing the words of the Lord. It goes on to say that people will stagger from sea to sea and wander from north to east searching for the word of the Lord, but they will not find it. In that day, the lovely young women and strong young men will faint because of thirst. And, uh, you know, as I read these words, it 
I know it wasn't written about the day that we're living in, but it sounds like the perfect word for this day that we're living in. I look around and I see while people have more physical access to the scriptures than ever before, we lack personal access to the Bible. In other words, we sometimes feel intimidated when we open up the Word of God and we swallow the lie that we can't possibly understand it. You know, I think the enemy would want us to believe two lies about God's Word. Number one, it's too difficult for us to understand. And number two, it's too hard to live out. And I think if he can make us feel like it's too difficult to understand and too hard to live out, then we'll start shying away from the truth. But when we push truth out of our life, then um, we will start to live just like this verse. We'll live in a famine of the soul. The soul has to be fed with the truth of God's word, just like our stomachs need to be fed with physical food. And if we go too long without physical access to uh, to God's uh, word and uh, too long without personal access to really get into his word and live it out, it'll, it'll starve us. But how do we make sure that people don't just have physical access to God's word, but, but, but personal access to God's word? Um, and I think a devotional is a beautiful way. So this devotional that I've written, Embraced, is a wonderful way to, in a non-threatening, uh, way to get people introduced to God's Word or revitalized in studying God's Word. And the way that the devotions are written, they're going to meet people right in the midst of their everyday experiences. So I talk about things that you'll face in the midst of your everyday and oftentimes I'm either making fun of myself or I'm pouring my heart out about my struggle uh, over some issue. And then I lead people to a place where they don't have to have the same circumstances as me, but the answers in God's word can apply to whatever issue they're facing that day. And um, I'm very vulnerable about my struggles. I'm very real about the issues that I'm facing because I know that people will only trust the uh, teaching that I give to the extent that they know I can identify with where they really live and the hurt that they really feel. And so I'm very, very honest in, in the devotion about my own struggles. Um, and then I pull people into the scriptures and allow them to experience God and the truth of God's word for themselves. This is probably one of my most favorite uh, parts of the book because we were created for intimacy with God. I mean, God had intimacy, a close relationship with us. He had that in mind, but so many times either busyness or fear or anxiety gets in the way. And so I think what embrace will do for people is bring them back to that core reason God created us, and that was intimacy with Him. And if we can believe that God is with us, then we truly will 
feel a closeness with him and the fears will dim in the light of his presence. Our anxiety will dim in the light of his presence. There are so many scriptures that talk about this. One of my favorite scriptures is in Philippians chapter four. And uh, starting in uh, verse six, it says, do not be anxious for anything, but in everything uh, present your requests to God, right? But I love what Philippians verse Chapter four, verse five says right before that, and it says, the Lord is near. You see, it's in that intimacy that we, in the presence of God, we can start to get our perspective shifted by God. So because the Lord is near, then that's verse five, verse six, uh, then we don't have to be anxious for anything because we know that the Lord is near. So I think helping people put verses in context, being reminded of the presence of God, uh, being reminded of the closeness of God, and most importantly, drawing them into intimacy with God, that will help a lot of the struggles that they're having. Um, they'll have a better perspective in the midst of it all. I think because there are so many things that demand our attention every day, just like I read in Jesus Calling, I love this one line where it says um, that we live in a time that we are addicted to noise. Like we're, we're addicted to noise and speed. And I think that's so true. We want everything fast and uh, we, we're sort of addicted to the chaos in our life, which can make us add a lot of clutter and a lot of distraction to our life. So what Embraced will do is it'll help us for just a minute to set those things aside. And I think if we start our day letting Jesus set the tone of our day, rather than initially coming out of the gate of every single day, comparing ourselves to other people and looking at social media. Um, I think if we can really focus on God's word first, then I think you'll have a much better chance at fighting some of those competing voices, some of that comparison, some of that feeling that I'm not good enough. Find out more about Lisa Turkhurst at her website, lisaturkhurst.com, and find her new devotional, Embraced, 100 Devotions to Know God is Holding You Close, anywhere books are sold. We'll continue with the Jesus Calling podcast after this brief message about a free offer from Jesus Calling. Are you looking for a way to keep track of your daily prayers along with Jesus Calling? The Jesus Calling Family Prayer Calendar goes right along with your daily readings from Jesus Calling. Each day begins with a guided reflection, followed by a space for you to fill in your prayers of thanksgiving and special requests. You can get your free Jesus Calling Family Prayer Calendar by visiting jesuscalling.com offers. Visit jesuscalling.com offers to download your free family prayer calendar today. Dorothy Urelas is a volunteer who acts as a spiritual advisor within the Texas Department of Corrections. Dorothy works closely with death row inmates to bring them hope, encouragement, and the promise that no matter their past mistakes, they can find forgiveness and restoration through Christ. She shares stories of her encounters with these men awaiting death row and how they find comfort and healing through the pages of Jesus Calling. My name is Dorothy Lee Ruelas. I'm the daughter of missionaries to Mexico. They were missionaries for 36 years in Mexico, and I'm a passionate person 
in relationship to serving my God in the ministry that he put in my path. And this is a ministry to death row inmates in Texas. My parents were called to serve as Southern Baptist missionaries in Mexico, and they were stationed in Guadalajara, Mexico. They served there for 36 years, and I was fortunate to be one of the ones that was born down there. I have two older sisters and one younger brother. My brother was also born in Mexico. Uh, and I grew up in Guadalajara. I studied there. I married there. I had my children there. But then I moved to the United States about 11 years ago, thinking that I was following my kids to the United States. But I soon found out that God is the one that brought me here for the ministry that he has put in my path. Giving God's love and encouraging death row inmates with the word of God is what I have been called to. I was born in Mexico and I lived there all of my life until about 11 years ago. And I love Mexico. I mean, Mexicans are my people. Even though my parents, both of them were Americans, uh, I considered myself a Mexican. And there are many commodities here in the United States that in my childhood time and even now, we did not have in Mexico. But still, my memories of Mexico are so wonderful. The people there, the love of the people, the openness. You know, I, I really never believed that I would come live to the United States. I studied in Mexico. I studied nursing school. I have a bachelor's of science. But here in the United States, I'm not recognized as a nurse because I don't have my license from the United States. When I was in Mexico, I began working as a research nurse with a doctor that actually is from uh, University of Texas here in Houston. And when I moved to the United States, I continued working for him. I worked about 28 years as a research nurse for this doctor. And I continued going to Mexico uh, to do the research down there. Both of my parents did prison ministry. My mother started a Bible study in the men's penitentiary in Guadalajara when they were still missionaries down there. And I would go with her to the Bible studies. And my father, when they retired, he did prison ministry among um, Hispanics in the city, in the town where they were living, and they, uh, he ministered to Hispanics there. So I had been introduced to prison ministry from years back, ever since I was a young, younger person. I'm still young. But <laughs> I guess you can say that I inherited my parents' prison ministry, and it has become my passion. I wish I could dedicate 100% of my time to that. I began my ministry on death row with a young man who came from a Christian family, but he actually masterminded his family to be killed. And uh, he was uh, finally caught after quite a good amount of months because he, he fled to Mexico. But uh, once his dad found out that his own son was the one that had his his family killed because his dad did not die. He forgave his son, and he stood by his son all of these years. 
Amazingly, this, after about 11 years of being on death row, my friend, my friend's sentence got commuted because of his dad's testimony and his plea to forgive his son and not, not send him to, to death. And I started uh, writing Thomas, and after a, a while, my husband and I started visiting him. Now, I consider that even though I was not per se a spiritual advisor at that time or a recognized one by the Texas Department of Criminal Justice, my uh, involvement with them was to lead them to Christ and to strengthen their faith. Thomas, my friend, led me to many other inmates, mostly Hispanics, and he, God led me to minister to these young men. Uh, this year, after about four years of trying to actually be uh, recognized as a spiritual advisor by uh, Texas Department of Criminal Justice, uh, I finally have been recognized as a spiritual advisor. The difference of before being recognized and now that I have, as you could say, a license to minister this way, the only difference is I can visit anybody that I call out. I don't have to be on their visiting list. And the other thing is I can carry my own Bible into the prison. You know how it is about your own Bible. You know, you find things easier when you have your own Bible. So I, I am very blessed that now I can, you know, actually just call on whoever I want to do a spiritual advisor visit with, and I can visit with them. One of my spiritual adopted sons on death row, I have two that actually asked me if I would be their mom. This son is Miguel Angel Paredes. He drew a picture for the son of the executive director. And she was so touched that she sent Miguel Angel a Jesus Calling devotional book. When she told me about this book and I told her I had never heard about it, she could not believe it because she loves the book. They actually have Jesus Calling books and devotionals at each one of the houses that they have there. And my spiritual son already had an execution date by that time. And he was close to another friend of, my, of mine, which is Arnold, who at the time called himself an atheist. But my son had been witnessing to him. And, and remember, when I say my son, I'm talking about Miguel Angel, my spiritual adopted son. And he would share the readings from the Jesus Calling book to him. So when he was executed, I sent Arnold a Jesus Calling book. And when he was executed, he inherited the book to his mother. As I saw the blessing that this book was for my friends, I started sending each one of my friends and brothers in Christ on death row a Jesus Calling book. And then God led me to send this encouraging devotional book to several of the other inmates that had an execution date, even when I didn't personally know them. Just recently, I sent uh, a Jesus Calling devotional book to Arnold's brother, who is also in prison. He's not in death row, but he is on general population. And to another one of my newest friends and brothers in Christ that is on death row. And I'm always amazed at the way, the way God works to fulfill his purpose in our lives. 
All of this began with one death row prisoner's piece of art to touching the heart of a woman of God who in turn shared Jesus' calling with this inmate. And from there, many others have been blessed by having this wonderful book of daily Bible meditations in their hands. Putting a Jesus Calling book in their hands helps my ministry in constantly encouraging them in their struggles and walk with Christ in that very, very dark place. Three of my friends do not speak English, so when I started looking around to see if by any chance you had the Jesus Calling in Spanish, I was thrilled when I found out that you did. And the English version that I always send my friends is the 10th edition version, which is beautifully, beautifully presented. And I think, you know, some people say, oh, that's the most expensive one or whatever. But my friends are worth it. My friends are worth it. And one of the things that I really like about the 10th uh, edition is it actually has the Bible verses written out at the bottom, not just the reference of it. I've also sent some of them the the evening and morning devotional book. And many times, I, I mean, to many of them, I send Bibles. But secondary to the Bible, this Jesus Calling devotional book really, really blesses them. Uh, a few weeks back, I sent a Bible to one of my brothers in Christ and a Jesus Calling 10th anniversary version. And he's a young man who has been in, on death row only about four years, and he's really, really struggling in adapting to that place. And he, he struggles with a lot of depression due to the crime that he committed. I received a letter from him just recently, and he says, The Bible and the Jesus Calling book you sent me are really magnificent to me. They open another realm for me. They are revealing the kingdom right before my own eyes, my dear friend. My heart is really happy today. The passages that I, I share with the men very, very frequently is the one of Joshua 1.9, where it says, do not be afraid. I'm saying it in my own, in my own words, but it says for them not to be afraid that he is with them. You know, just stay close to him at all times. And he'll help them walk through this dark experience in their life that they're going through. One young man whom I did not visit or write to, he's a young man who had a date and who I sent this wonderful devotional book to. The day of his last visit, I was visiting another inmate. And when he saw me come in, from afar, he puts his hands together and he bent forward like thanking me. I knew who he was, but I was not aware that he knew who I was. And I knew that he was thanking me for the Jesus Calling book. His minister shared with me afterwards that this young man, excited, ex very excited, shared with him the Jesus Calling devotional that he had read just this morning or that moment and it was in August 12, 2015, that he read, Come to me when you are weak and weary. Rest snugly in my everlasting arms. I do not despise your weakness, my child. Actually, it draws me closer to you because weakness stirs my compassion, my yearning to help. 
Accept yourself in your weariness, knowing that I understand how difficult your journey has been. Do not compare yourself with others who seem to skip along their life paths with ease. Their journeys have been very different from yours, and I have gifted them with abundant energy. I have gifted you with fragility, providing opportunities for your spirit to blossom in my presence. Accept this gift as a sacred treasure, delicate yet glowing with brilliant life. Rather than struggling to disguise or deny your weakness, allow me to bless you richly through it. And this is just one of the many, many testimonies of how God spoke to each of my friends that are now in the presence of the Lord on their day of the execution. These men, criminals, despised and discarded by society as men who have no redemption, have been amazingly redeemed and changed by the Lord, and they're now sharing the good news on death row with other men. When my son Miguel Angel was sent to heaven by the state of Texas, he left praising the Lord. He said he came to death row as a lion and was leaving as a lamb. The guards, the chaplains, the wardens all shared with me how amazingly he had changed and how they had seen this in Miguel Angel as he arrived as a hardened and dangerous gang member and a criminal to one that shared God and Christ with whoever he could. I was not able to hug my son here on earth, but I will give him many, many hugs in heaven, as well as my other brothers in Christ that have already preceded me there. I know each one as a Christian has a calling from God. All of us have a calling. Not one of us is exempt. But when people hear about my calling on death row to minister to these men on death row, which is a very difficult and painful, painful one, but one that is so full of blessing, they say that not everyone would be able to fulfill this calling. It's just that we are willing to follow wherever God takes us. And if he says death row, even if somebody might be fearful, you know, God will qualify you to minister. And I can never, never stop stressing what a blessing it is to see what God is doing in these men's lives. I send them Christian books. I send them Bibles. I send them the Jesus Calling book, you know, because they have a lot of time on their hands. So all of these things also encourage them in their walk with Jesus Christ. And many times they'll come back to me, you know, also in times that they, they are needing more encouragement, that they're feeling depressed, they're feeling sad. I mean, they're human beings, so they do have their struggles. But us being able to encourage them in the Lord is, is something that they really, really appreciate. Each inmate has a story behind his crime. Many people say, you know, I went through that and I didn't kill anybody, but each person is different. And each one of the inmates that I've talked to or that I've known about their stories, they have abuse as children. And, you know, some of them are really, really terrible stories. Abuse as children, neglect, the absence of a father. Many of them never even knew who their father was. 
They got into drugs. They got into alcohol. But one thing we need to consider is even if they did commit a crime, they're human beings. And they're human beings that God also loves, just as he loves us. And they are redeemable. Society always judges them. They discard them. They even kill them, like in the in the situation of death row. God has given me the blessing of ministering to approximately 20 men and one woman. And of these, in the past about 10, 11 years that I've been uh, ministering to death row inmates, um, five have already been sent home to the to heaven by the state of Texas. I just praise God because I know I will see them again and I will be able to hug them because right now I can't even touch them because we do our visits through a, a pane, a glass pane and telephone. All of them just need someone to love them. And through our love, we show them that God loves them. And the change that this causes in their lives is really, really and truly impacting. Not one of these men is too hard or too hardened to say that it is impossible that God can change them. To find out how you can send copies of Jesus Calling to prisoners in your area, please visit thenextdoor.org slash Jesus dash calling. Next time on the Jesus Calling podcast, we visit with Grammy-nominated musician and singer Bart Millard, whose new movie, I Can Only Imagine, made its theatrical debut and will also be available on DVD. Bart walks through his story of faith, which is detailed in the movie, and the story behind the blockbuster mega-hit, I Can Only Imagine, a beloved song that has captured a view of heaven that has inspired millions. We were approached about making the movie eight years ago. Um, a production company, a lady out of, of California saw me kind of sharing part of my story on stage one night, and she she approached me and said, I, I, I want to try, I think there might be a movie in this. And then about three years ago when the Irwin brothers got involved and the script started taking shape, I was like, oh man, like this may actually happen. I didn't even think about the impact the movie might have on other people that have gone through similar stuff. It wasn't until the first screening with an audience where these men started coming up saying, man, I've had similar experience and it's unresolved or I'm that dad or whatever. And I was like, oh my gosh. And it's bringing something up to where it's like, a, you know, hopefully some things that have been unresolved could be taken care of. Who knows? Do you love hearing great stories of faith each week via the Jesus Calling podcast? We want to hear from you. If you haven't already subscribed to the Jesus Calling podcast, visit the Jesus Calling page at iTunes.com and hit the subscribe button. While you're there, we'd love for you to leave us a review and tell us how you feel about the show and what future guests you'd love to see. Your reviews and subscription help us share these stories of faith to more people who need the hope and encouragement of Jesus Calling. If you have your own story to share, we'd love to hear from you. Visit JesusCalling.com to share your story today.